You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, friends. It is time once again for another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I am your host, Dan Johnson. And today we have a hunter profile. Now, today we're going to talk with Tony Holinka, I believe that's how you say his name, about uh, a deer that uh, he had some good encounters with. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to harvest it with his bow, but like a lot of deer die throughout the season, he still had it patterned into the gun season and uh, was able to take advantage of it at that time. So, short and sweet intro. Here is Tony Halenka with his Hunter Profile. On the phone with me now is Tony Halenka from Wisconsin. How's it going today, Tony? Very good. How you been? You know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, this weekend was absolutely gorgeous, so... I got out with the family, and we did a little shed hunting, but it was basically just to get the kids out and about out in the out in the timber, stretch some legs and stuff like that. But we didn't find any sheds, but still had fun. Good, good. So, uh, sounds like you had a pretty uh, interesting year this past year uh, in regards to uh, a, a particular buck that you were chasing. But before we get into the details, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from and what you do for a living? Um, well, my name's Tony Holinka. I uh, work full-time for a uh, company that we're a private contractor for Department of, De of Defense and Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, that's my full-time job. Uh, I do also, I am the assistant chief of a uh, paid on-call volunteer fire department. So I do that. When I'm not uh, working and doing that, I spend as much time with my family out in the woods hunting and fishing and having fun like that. Perfect. Perfect. So you hunt in an area called the Driftless area of Wisconsin. Explain to me yep. what the Driftless area is. Um, what it is is uh, during the last ice age, none of the glaciers that came through this area 
they didn't touch this area. They kind of broke apart and for whatever reason didn't touch this area. So a lot of the, the hills and the topography that we have here is very steep, very rocky, uh, wooded, but, uh, you know, it's almost kind of looks like a mini Rocky mountains. I mean, there's steep valleys and gorges and coolies and, and everything all wooded and it's very, very nice. And, uh, tends to have some very big animals here. Gotcha. So uh, what part of the state is that in? Um, well, I'm from La Crosse, which is uh, right on the uh, Mississippi River border between um, Wisconsin and Minnesota, and we have Iowa just to the <clears throat> southwest uh, of us. So kind of right where Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa meet is kind of the heart of the driftless area gotcha so it's not really flat a lot of ups and downs no exactly it's you're hiking up hills all the time gotcha gotcha my uh my in-laws have a cabin in northeastern iowa right on the mississippi river and until you get to the farmland between the river and the uh you know, the river and the actual farmland, it is really steep and hilly. Now, I don't know what that's like compared to the Driftless area, because I can honestly say I've never been there, but uh, I know that it holds a lot of big deer for the pure and simple fact that it's hard to get to where the deer are living. Mm -hmm. I know on our property from the valley floor to the top of the ridge, I believe the last time I looked on a uh, map, it had it at like a 400 foot difference oh boy so and i mean some of these some of these valleys are you know straight up or some of them kind of you know go easy or easy up but a lot of them are you know you're probably looking at 30 to 40 degrees up okay so in this drift in this driftless area on this first off let's talk a little bit about the property that you're hunting it's you on the notes here it says you own 100 acres or uh, your family owns 100 mm -hmm. acres um, in this area. Um, explain to us a little bit about the top topography and the terrain of this farm. Um, the property we have, like I say, is 100 acres and probably 97 of it is wooded. Um, it's one big valley in the shape of a dog's leg. So it kind of bends in the middle and, you know, we can hunt the valley and either hillsides. And we, we do have some fields put in some food, food plots but we have uh, uh, agricultural land to the west of us. They put uh, corn and soybeans up. And then to the west of us is, uh, or excuse me, to the west of us is the corn and soybeans, and to the east of us is uh, CRP land. Yeah, 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 yeah. And how do the deer, how, how do they typically move through this property? Uh Sometimes it's kind of hard to say because, like I said, we've only had it five years. A lot of times we will catch deer moving from the CRP side and moving up into on, across our valley into the fields at night. Okay. Um, so, so they're crossing the, the entire valley to get to the, yeah. the egg fields. Okay. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, we do have some bedding areas on our land that we've found so far, but uh, most of our uh, – most, I believe most of the bedding area is up on this portion of the property that we don't own, but we kind of have the uh, roadway from the bedding to the food. Okay. 
got that locked in. So, so is it big open hardwoods or is it uh, thicker in areas or tell tell me a little uh, bit about how that uh, is it? I mean, is it thick timber? Is it not so thick timber? It really depends on uh, which part. There's certain areas of it where we have uh, big oaks or we'll have, we have a creek running through the bottom of it, so down around the creek can get thick. Uh, we do have uh, along the uh, side where the agricultural land is, it can get really thick and thorny up in there. But I would say most of it is your big hardwood timber. Okay. So let's see here. When you said you have a couple, you you do a little bit of food plotting, and it, you said it's ninety-seven. Would you say ninety-seven acres of the hundred is in uh, basically timber? Um, yeah. Where whereabouts are you putting these food plots, and what are you typically planting? Uh, right on the bottom is we have essentially two long, narrow food plots that the previous owner had in a food plot, and we <clears throat> kind of our first introduction into doing food plots we just uh <clears throat> excuse me got the uh got a plow plowed it up and did like a broadcast uh grass that we put in there okay um, we've tried different things we've tried uh we tried corn one year we got uh, a friend of us gave us some corn so we we put corn in there and that seemed to really seem to work nice because we never picked the corn or anything like that and then once uh after gun season, we kind of knocked it down a little bit so the deer would have an easier chance at uh, at eating it. And that seemed to work okay. This last year, we put um, uh, turnips. And I think we might stick with the turnips this year because after season, after gun season, when, the, when it was really cold out and all the agricultural fields were picked, that seemed to just be torn apart by deer. And unfortunately, gotcha. the fields are small and we really can't make them any bigger. Um, it got all, everything got eaten within a month. I mean, it was just, everything was all gone there. Gotcha. So aside from food plots, how do you, how do you approach, uh, I take it that you're not the only one who hunts this property. Um, do you guys go in as a team and set up stands? Um, or is it kind of an every man for himself type of situation? Uh, it's, it's a team. We kind of, it's my, uh, father, myself, my sister uh, and a couple friends of ours, friends of my dad's that, you know, come out and we'll put up a stand for gun hunting or they'll, uh, one of our friends has a, a son that he brought youth gun hunting and, and uh, you know, we kind of have stands in different areas and we kind of just put up our stands and wherever you want to hunt, you're really kind of open to whichever stand you want to. Nobody really has a specific stand unless, unless they say something out loud and, and make sure everybody knows about it. So. Gotcha. So there is a little bit of, Hey, I set this stand up for me, kind of stay away from it type of deal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like the, the stand I put up this year, it was kind of, I put it up in an area where it's a steep hill. We don't have access from the top. So I, so you have to walk up this whole big hillside to get to it. So it's kind of uh, set up, set aside mainly just because of nobody really wants to walk up this hill. Gotcha. Because it's so steep, so. Okay. Well, so 
So tell me a little bit about how you how you enter a season. I mean, other from other than maybe putting up a couple tree stands, maybe trimming out some. I mean, are you guys going in and maintaining every one of these uh, stand locations in the summer or early fall? Or because uh, I think correct me if I'm wrong, Wisconsin season opens like sept- halfway through September, right? Yeah, it's like I think this last year was September 14th or 15th or something like that. Okay. Are you guys running trail cameras at all? Yep. Gotcha. Uh, we have, I think we got six or seven trail cameras and we'll put them up, uh, either on, you know, we've got a couple narrow strips of woods between fields or we'll put them on. We got permission from the uh, farmer that has all the egg fields to put, uh, cameras up in there and we can walk across his fields to get to our woods up on top. So it's kind of nice. Uh, but he lets us do that, and we'll kind of monitor how many, just kind of get an idea how many deer are there, so we kind of have an idea how many we want to take off. Gotcha. So what's your, I mean, what are the deer numbers where you're hunting? You got uh, decent deer numbers? Does everybody get to take a, a doe or two home, or um, do you guys have any limitations on your piece? Uh, it really depends upon how, I mean, later in the season, we list the past year, we kind of shut it down for does, later in the season after gun season just because um my father had shot one bull hunting uh we had a couple friends brought bring their kids out for the youth gun deer season that they have in october here in wisconsin they shot a couple i shot a couple during gun season so we had taken off i believe nine those okay um which you know some people say it was you know, that's a lot of does to take off a hundred acres, but we're kind of the only hunters in the area. So we have a lot of, you know, we have a tendency of seeing uh, high numbers of deer. Okay. So they're packed in there is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now on this summer, I mean, do you got, I mean, you've been hunting there five years. Have you been running trail cameras these uh, entire five years that you've had the, had the property? Yeah, I think we really got into it two years ago when we started getting a uh, couple more trail cameras and monitoring them a little bit better. Okay. So have you guys noticed, uh, like, the same bucks that, uh, I mean, notice characteristics? Are you seeing the same deer uh, come back every year, anything like that? Um, yes and no. It depends on if you talk to my father or you talk to me. Okay. <laughs> so that's the, that's the, one of the biggest con- contentions that we have out there is, oh, that's a different deer. No, that's the same deer. That's, we have that conversation for hours sometimes, it seems. So gotcha. um, sometimes we have had in the same year has had the same buck in an area, but we haven't gotten that good at it to where we can, pinpoint saying that's the same buck from a different year gotcha are you guys are you guys doing any shed hunting at all out there um no i not really um it seems i find more sheds when i'm uh scouting in the summertime or walking around when i'm not shed hunting i'll see one in a field and i go that's a nice shed and take it with me but it seems like every time i go specifically out for shed hunting i never find it (laughs) that's how it works man yeah definitely how it works now um 
and the reason I was asking because the buck that you shot this year, um, are do you guys have on on this farm that you hunt? Are you kind of doing it's as far as bucks are concerned? Do you have a management plan intact, or is it kind of uh, hey we kill we kill what we want type of deal? It's more along the lines of we kill what we kind of want. Okay. Um, you know, I'm me personally. I'd like to. I want to shoot big bucks, and everybody does. But um, I kind of I'm okay with holding off on smaller bucks, letting them get bigger, and and depending on who the hunter is, you know, guys have been at it for a while. They're kind of yeah, I'll let a let a smaller one pass because I know there's bigger ones there. That's what kind of helps with the trail cameras. You kind of have an idea of what could possibly coming be, be coming past your stand. So, but we you know we also have um, young kids, and we're just out, you know, young kids hunting the same property. So we're just happy that they, you know, can see a deer, let alone shoot a deer. And so, right, uh, those we kind of just let them do whatever they whatever they want. But some of the guys that have been hunting for many many years have a tendency of holding off for a bigger buck. Gotcha. Okay, so this particular uh, story that you're going to kind of tell me is uh, about a, a deer that you kind of chased throughout the, the bow season and didn't get a crack at him. Did you did you have this bow on, or this bow, did you have this deer on trail camera coming into the season, and did you know that this buck was a shooter when you saw him? Uh, we have two trail cam pr- pictures of this buck but we did not look at the pictures until uh, after I had shot him. Okay. Um, I had shot him, and then it was probably a week afterwards or so. Uh, my dad went to go pull the camera because we had, you know, you get into November, you kind of are more interested in going out hunting than necessarily pulling trail cameras, and we had forgotten about this trail camera. And he goes to pull the card and he started called me up and said that my buck was on it a week before I had shot it. Now, was, was this relatively close to the trail camera close to where you shot the deer? Uh, straight down the hill, about 300 yards. Right. So he, so he was exactly in that kind of in that same area. Now this, this particular stand that you set, you said it was you had to walk straight uphill to get to it, right? Kind of on a steep uh, hillside. Yep. Okay. So why don't you why don't you kind of start the story from from there? So I guess it, I guess you went out scouting with your son and decided, mm-hmm. hey, this is a good spot for a stand. Why don't you kind of fill us in? Uh, yeah, it was a uh, mid October. Me and my son needed to stretch our legs out, so we uh, I grabbed a stand and kind of figured we'd walk up into this area because I had seen deer moving through this area during gun season, but uh, I'd only see glimpses of them or just little parts. And I couldn't tell what kind of deer it was before I shot. So it always kind of frustrated me. So I figured I could put a bow stand up in there, up in this hillside. So me and him walked up in there and I found there was on the hillside, there's two trails and I put the tree stand right in the middle of the two trails, thinking maybe I might have to move it once I start hunting it or have to move a, a stand so I can get a better shot at a deer and like that. So um, that was mid-October. I let it sit for a couple of weeks and then did not hunt it bow hunting until uh, October 30th, 31st time. 
uh, sat up there in an evening stand, and I had gotten up there, and I had uh, a small buck walk past me right as I was sitting in my stand. I didn't even have an arrow knocked or anything. I just was getting everything all set up, and I had a small buck walk right past me, and I was kind of getting excited. I'm like, wow, here, you know, this stand seems to be working quite well. Uh, sat there for a couple hours, and right at sundown, I had this buck walk past me on a trail at about 40 yards. Uh, tried grunting at it to get him to stop or to see if I can get him to come a little closer to me. And he did. He was he was on a not on a run, but on a fast walk through the woods at about 40 yards. So I figured if I grunted at him and he didn't stop, he wasn't interested in my grunts at all. So he he kept going. I I figured that was kind of a nice something fun to see. Uh, So I uh, the next day I hunted in the morning when the same stand walked up the same way into the tree stand. And probably at about eight thirty nine o'clock, on the opposite hillside from me, I'm hunting on the top, and you look over across the valley to the opposite hillside, I see this big buck running from the top of the hill all the way down to the bottom, all the way up to the top, all the way down to the bottom, probably about five times. And I'm glassing him with my binoculars, and I can see the big, wide buck. And I'm like, I bet you that was the same buck I saw last night. So... I go, oh, that, I bet you he's getting kind of excited because it's getting towards getting towards the rut. So uh, the next weekend, I usually by that time I can only make it out on the weekend. So I pretty much hunt Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night is kind of how I hunt. Uh, that next weekend, I we were uh, going to go hunt and. I went to go hang a stand. I got there early. I went to go hang a stand for my sister for the gun season, which made me a little bit late getting to my bow stand. And as I'm walking up the hill to my bow stand, I see a big buck about 20 yards away from my bow stand. And I pull up my binoculars and I look and I'm like, oh, it's that same buck I had walking past me last week and on the hillside. Well, I got really excited. And I looked you know, sat there and hid behind a tree and watched that buck walk all the way past my area and go into a different area. So that's not, I hunted that night and I actually had a probably about an 18 inch eight pointer stop at about 30 yards from me. And I was really tempted on taking a shot on that one, but I knew I had this big buck coming through pretty regularly and I had seen him uh, pretty regularly. So I, uh, opted not to shoot that buck and let him get bigger another year. Uh, And then after November 8th, I had hunted a couple spots and didn't really see too much deer after that. And we had kind of left the woods uh, out a little, you know, kind of left the woods for a little bit to get ready for gun season to make sure we had all the, you know, supplies we needed and, and make sure our guns were sighted in and all the everything that you need to do for gun season. I got a question real quick about you're accessing this particular bow stand from the bottom of the valley and you're walking uphill. Mm-hmm. Is the wind in your face or are you kind of uh, not really paying attention to the wind? At that time, the wind's in my face. Um, 
it was a south wind going into my face and I would love to be able to approach it from uphill in case if the wind was from the north. Unfortunately, I don't have permission to approach it from that way, so I'm kind of I only hunt that stand with the south wind. Okay, so you're you're very specific. Yeah. Okay. That's one thing I've kind of made a goal of myself this last year is to be very specific on the wind and okay. how I because I'll have a you know a stand where I'll put in I may not even hunt it all season because Every time I go, it's the wind's not right for it, so I'll just kind of let that sit. So. Now, as far as a morning or an evening hunt, is this particular stand uh, a morning or an evening stand, or is it just kind of a when the conditions are right stand? I think I saw more deer in the morning. However, I wouldn't be afraid to hunt it morning or evening or a lot of these times I'd sit from sun up till sundown. Okay. And just either sit in a stand or go and move to a different stand in the afternoon to get a you know, little different view for the for the afternoon. But, okay. Um, yeah, I, I kind of just look at the weather that I have and pick the best stand for that weather that I got so the day I can go. Okay, sounds good. Go ahead and continue. Um, and our life... Well, it's the opening day of gun season. I had uh, Doe come in in the morning and shot shot her. She had walked in. We had gotten opening the uh, opening morning. We had gotten about two inches of snow, but it was a real wet, heavy snow that clung to the branches of every single tree. So it was kind of real hard to see through the woods. And we had a, I had a Doe uh, walk up to me, and we're you know, more than willing to take some does and fill the freezer. So I had shot a doe that morning. And then that afternoon got up into the same stand I bow hunted in because I had some deer uh, uh, that I could see down in that area from my, from my gun stand. And I can, you know, these stands are, I think GPS, I think they're like 108 yards apart. They're not too far apart. So you shot so a up, you shot a doe with your bow, right? Yeah, early season. Yeah. Early season, yep. Mm-hmm. So I uh, got a that afternoon evening. I sat got up in my stand on um, one o'clock, and I didn't see anything yet until three o'clock. When off to my left at forty yards, where I first originally saw the buck the first time earlier or later in October was this buck walking broadside. And I got it about 40 yards, uh, bleated at it, and it stood broadside, shot it, hit it right in the lungs, and it ran about 50, 60 yards, and then stopped, and it was given a, uh, it was probably going to die right there, but I, I don't want them to suffer any more than they have to. So I shot it again in the lungs and it dropped right down. So. And that and that's with a bow? That's with a gun. A gun. Okay. So that was what year was that? That was this past year. That was two thousand fifteen. Okay, two thousand fifteen. And that from that bow stand you shot uh, shot a that buck. Yes sir. Okay. So 
was that the same buck that you had seen running up and down the the ridge the entire uh, bow season? Yep. Gotcha. So uh, explain how old was this buck? What did he look like? How um, how big do you think he was? Uh, the uh, taxidermist that I took him to figures he's four and a half years old. Um, the buck had a 20-inch inside spread. Oh, wow. It was a 10-pointer. Uh, the right side, or excuse me, yeah, the right side was a perfect 10. Real nice, real pretty. The left side had uh, a big, long main beam and a uh, long uh, G2. And then the G3 and the main beam grew together. Okay. So I, so, I mean, it almost kind of, if you would have cut it in the cross section, it would have looked like an eight. Okay. So those kind of grew together, and then they split apart at about, with about two inches left in the main beam. They finally split, but they probably grew together for six inches. Oh, wow. Pretty so, unique. I mean, it was a, it was a nice size, nice size buck. Um, I did have it scored actually two weeks ago, and because of those two times growing together, uh, I, I lost quite a bit of points on it. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, uh, or inches rather. Uh, and then the on the left side, the brow tine was broken off at about an inch and a half, and the opposite side had a brow tine of about three inches. So all together, it had uh, gross scored 135 and 6 eighths. Okay, and that's with a lot of stuff so, missing too. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, there was it was definitely a fighter. Um, when we scunned it out, there was not an ounce of fat on that buck. Uh, we uh, the hind quarter had a it had either gotten shot with like a bow or gored with a deer tine because it had like a, a hole in its hind quarter. And it was all, I mean, we had, we couldn't eat the whole, the hind quarter. It was pretty mangled up. Yeah. But, uh, it had that. And then, uh, probably, you know, we had, you know, butchered the rest of the meat. And it, probably about two months ago, we were, uh, eating some of the neck roast. And my wife looked in the, in the neck before we went to go cook it. And here's a hunk of lead. And she goes, next time you shoot a buck like this, shoot it in the lungs like you're supposed to. <laughs> well, I told her, I go, I didn't shoot it in the, I didn't shoot it in the neck. I shot it in the lungs. Well, here it had gotten shot in the neck, and all the meat had grown around it. And I mean, I had gotten it caped out, so they wouldn't have caped out a buck that had a big hole in the back of the neck. Right. So this buck had gotten either shot in the hindquarter or gored, shot in the neck with a bullet, and still made it so that's a that was a tough tough buck i tell you what i uh i know a guy who shot a buck one year and he had this buck was i think a, a six-year-old buck he had a broadhead in his back hip and he had a broadhead in the same side front shoulder when they went and really? came, that had over you know over the years had grown up so Somewhere in this buck's life, it it survived two arrow shots, and uh, had that when they got when they cut it out, the 
the arrow must have broken off, and the broadhead was in its bones. Oh, jeez. So <laughs> I can, you know, some of these, some of these deer are are truly amazing how they survive. Oh yeah. And then run as far as they can, as fast as they can, with all the with all that damage to them. Exactly. Now, from the way the deer moved this year and how this buck acted, you know, I mean, it sounds like he was in your property was his home range. Are you going to be moving that particular stand anywhere like 20, 30 yards, any direction, or do you think it's still in the right spot? I was, I'm thinking I'm going to move it uphill a little bit, probably uphill 10 to 20 yards. So that trail that the same trail he was on, other deer were traveling on it and, uh, get it up high enough and then maybe maybe put a trail camera on it to make sure deer are still using that trail. Okay. Um, you know, I've shot enough deer in that area and enough nice sized bucks. I know they're going to always be in, be in that area and have to travel through that area to get to, to get to any cover or any feet. Gotcha. All right. Well, sounds like, uh, you had a pretty good year. Make sure you send me some pictures so I can post them on the uh, on the site when I do sure. my when I do the the uh, launch the podcast. But uh, congratulations on having a successful season. Are you are you fired up for 2016? Oh yeah, absolutely. We got uh, plans in the in the making next for this next fall, depending on you know what we're gonna do with food plots and we've been planting apple trees out there to get uh, deer eating on the apples and they should start be producing here shortly so we got a lot of always got plans plans for out there that's right so how old your how old your son he's five he's five so are you going to start gradually taking him or how old do you think he's got to be until you uh start uh getting him in the tree stand with you uh i took him i took him three times this last year in a ground blind and uh we didn't see any deer inside while we we're in the ground blind but one of the times we walked walking to it and there was a doe uh standing right in front of it and he was pretty you know watched it run up the hill and, and blow at us and everything he was pretty excited about that so now he's got a little toy bow that he shoots all the time and for christmas we got him a blow up deer target so he's that's sitting up in the living room and he shoots at that from sitting on top of the couch so that's a tree stand and shoots and hits at that so perfect it's a lot better i before we had that blow up deer i was his deer target so. uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> well hey again congratulations and uh thanks for uh taking the time the, today to tell us your story all right no problem you take care that brings us to an end of this week's podcast i just want to say to everybody who has taken time out to listen to this podcast, a heartfelt thank you is in order. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day. You could be doing a hundred other things, um, but you take time to listen to me. Um, I know most of you are probably multitasking at this point by listening to me, but uh, that's what I do as well when I listen to uh, the podcast that I listen to. Um, Like I say every week, make sure you guys are going to 
the Facebook page, the Instagram page, the Twitter profile. Um, make sure you guys are leaving reviews on iTunes or on Stitcher. Um, and, you know, thank you very much for spreading the word. The more I can get people to listen, the more possibilities I have for additional giveaways. So there's that. Um, I don't really know what else to say except thank you and be sure when you guys are hunting to wear your damn safety.